Hey friends, wanna welcome you to the start of a new series that we're doing at Grace Chapel Knoxville. Um, The series is titled Just Give and you're hearing me talking to you directly for a minute because we have had a little bit of a recording issue at the start of our service yesterday and missed the first couple of minutes of part one of the series. So I thought I would just take a minute, introduce you to the series, and then we will jump into the sermon already in progress. Um, So the series is called Just Give, and we kind of joked about it a little bit at church on Sunday because I actually really struggled figuring out what to title this series. I knew we were going to do something on giving, and I just feel like it's fraught with the potential to sound silly and churchy with the title or to sound like you're strong arming people into giving, and that is not our heart at all. As you'll see as we go forward in this series, we're talking about how our God is a giver, and he's designed and made us to be givers, that it is for our benefit to be givers. And so it's something God's inviting us into. It's an act of obedience. And so the title, Just Give, really captures the essence of just deciding to surrender to him, to learn to be a generous giver, and watch the change that it will bring about in our life as we're trusting our God, who is a giver and who is our king. And our job is to steward well to learn to steward well what he has given us. So thanks for jumping in on this series with us. And we're now going to join the sermon already in progress. Do you guys know the word integrity? Like when we use the word integrity, we we think of somebody you can like count on or trust. Like we use it in kind of a moral sense. But integrity is about structure. Like structurally things are sound. And it requires alignment for things to be structurally sound. I'm learning this firsthand when we're like setting up these things on a Sunday morning. Man, one of these little poles gets off and this whole thing would come tumbling down. You should probably be more nervous when you are, when you're sitting near these (laughs) these curtains. Just like I should warn you of that. Okay, I'm kind of kidding. I hope I'm kidding. Hopefully they don't ever fall down on us. But listen, if something's a little bit off, it's going to tumble. God has created us uniquely and holy. We're, we're emotional, we're spiritual, we're mental, we're physical, and it's meant to be aligned. And so um, we're, called, we're called to give. We're called to give. So just give. Hopefully that will make sense as we go along. Hopefully that doesn't sound like a command. It's really just a decision to say, God, I'm, I'm going to choose to be a giver. So a couple of things that I just want to highlight as we move into this this morning. Um, we're going to look at three main things this morning. The first thing is God is a giver. God is a giver. Here's a few to consider. God gives us life. He gives us life. In fact, one of the scriptures that talks about that, Job is the one saying it. Not before the bad stuff hits, after. After. When he's lost everything, he's in physical pain, and he says, God, you give life. That's in Job 33, 4. God gives lavish redemption. I love that word lavish. This is from Ephesians 1, verses 7 and 8. I've got these scriptures in the notes later. I would encourage you to look them up. Lavish redemption. He gives comfort in a lot of places, but in 2 Thessalonians 2, 16, we're told he gives eternal comfort. He never tires of comforting us. We've never reached a point where I'm too miserable or too far gone where he can't come alongside and bring his comfort. He gives me a future and a hope. Really common verse, Jeremiah 29, 11. In fact, every good and perfect gift comes from him. James 1, 17. God is a giver. That's just a smattering. If we went through the scripture, I actually, believe it or not, like I'm going to admit some laziness here. 
in my study this week, I sat down and I was like, I'm going to go through all the places in the scripture where it talks about giving and see how many times it says God gives. And so I've got this Bible software I use. And so I sat down, I typed in, like, pull up every variation of the word give. Give, given, gives, gave. I probably left something out right now. Giving. And I hit the search button and 1,500 verses came up. And so I didn't go through each one <laughs> to find out how, ma how many times God gives. But I can tell you, just getting through like Genesis, I was at like 20, 25. And I'm like, man, I'm going to be here all day. He gives. It's in his very nature. In fact, look at the simplest level. God so loved the world that he had emotional feelings towards me, was my buddy, was my friend. He gave. God so loved, he gave. Giving is in his nature and character. And, and one of the things I want to highlight, everything I just read, all of these ideas I just read, did y'all hear money in there anywhere? This is so much bigger and beyond finances. We will talk about money in this series. But that's like, that's down the, the road. That's, that's down the list. This is a... This is about who God is in his character. And so then point two, God's made me a giver. He's made me a giver and a steward. This was an original intent of his. We see it in Genesis chapter one. God makes us in what image? His image. And then he gives us what over the earth? Dominion. He gives us dominion. He tells us, be fruitful, multiply, fill it, subdue it. He gives us the, this imagery of caring for it, stewarding it, and giving towards it. Yeah. I can tell you, as a dad who's had a lot of kids, it, it takes some giving to be fruitful and multiply. <laughs> we got any parents in the room? Does it just feel like you're constantly receiving wonderful things from your children always? Okay, so you're with me, right? It, it hurts. It hurts. It's difficult. It's tough. God gives, and he calls us to give. He's made us givers. Now, it doesn't, that was not only his original design. When Jesus came to redeem us, he wants to restart that process in our lives. He looked at his disciples, and in Matthew 16, 19, he said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. He came talking about God's kingdom coming to earth. And he said, I'm giving you those keys. And he says, what, what you bind will be bound. What you loose will be loose. You get to be in charge. You have dominion. You have an area, a realm that you are called to steward, that I am called to steward. It affects our finances, but it's, it's our relationships. It's what I do with this body that he's given me. It's the people he's put in my life that I'm in relationship with. And he's called me to be a giver. Now, uh, we're going to look at something this morning that is just a basic life principle. And it is simply this. Whether we like it or not, we are givers. We are givers. I, I want to show you something. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. How many of you have heard that verse specifically used in talking about money? 
right? Like are all our hands up? Okay, let's get some context. Let's go back two verses. Verse 36, be merciful even as your father is merciful. Judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. This should actually be a sobering passage because here's what it tells me. What I give out comes right back in my lap. Comes right back in my lap. If I give out judgment, condemnation, if, if I live a life that just pours out frustration, guess what's coming back? This is, this is a life principle. This is just something that happens. We reap what we sow. This is a principle of life. What we give out comes back. The problem is at the most basic level, my issue is I'm selfish. I'm a taker. And if I live my life as a taker, you know the verse that talks about rebuking the devourer? Like when I live my life as a taker, guess what? I will feel like stuff's constantly being taken from me. When I live my life clinging, clutching, holding on to, trying to fight and scrap for everything I get, I will find those things slipping through my fingers. The way we approach life comes back. And so our basic problem is that we're selfish. We were made to be givers. We were made in his image. As a result of the fall, that's been flipped. But the principle still works. God designed this world a certain way. He made us a certain way. That's not going to change. But if I let him redeem my life, change who I am, and I, I become a giver again. I become like him more and more. I learn to be someone who gives out. My life comes in alignment with who God is and how he made me. Is this making sense? I'm not asking if it's making you happy, but is it making sense? Okay. Y'all are maybe with me. Now listen, Jesus, Jesus actually gave us a really helpful tool. He gave us an ability to do some self-analysis. So let's look at this together for just a minute. Because the bottom line is, you know, we can say God is a giver and we can acknowledge, maybe agree that he's made, he's called me to be a giver, he's made me to be a giver and he wants to call me back to that. Um, but how do I do that? Right? Like that's the real issue. How do I do that? So Jesus gave a tool, gave us a tool to measure with. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you want to find the location of your heart, play around with this idea. Take a look at what you treasure. I'm going to give you a couple silly examples of this, okay? Anybody know what's happening tonight? It's kind of a big Super Bowl. Yeah, I'm sure you've based your whole day around that. But the Super Bowl is tonight. Okay, now, um, don't ask me why I know this. But you can bet on a lot of random things during the Super Bowl. I don't know if y'all know this or not. Um, but you can bet on things. This is weird. Like a lot of really random things. You can, you can gamble on how long it will take Pink to sing the national anthem before the game. I'm serious. You can bet money on that. 
You can bet on if Justin Timberlake will cover a Prince song tonight since the Super Bowl's in Minnesota. You can bet on that. It's kind of random. Um, you can bet on how many times Tom Brady's wife shows up on the broadcast. This is real. I'm not making this up. I mean, this is bizarre, isn't it? Y'all are like, where is this going? You can bet on the color of Gatorade that gets dumped on the head of the winning coach of the Super Bowl tonight. That's crazy. It's orange. John's placing his bet right now. It's going to be orange. All right. This is random. Okay. Now, I realize, I realize like you guys are way too sophisticated for this. So let me give you another example before I connect the dots. Okay. You can invest in stock. Right? And when you invest in stock, guess what you're going to be checking on and thinking about and paying attention to? Your stock, your stock right? How's your Bitcoin doing right now? <laughs> you hanging in there with it or what? Listen, this, this may sound random or whatever, but if I'm approaching the football game tonight and I don't care less, and then I put some money on one of these silly, dumb things, I'm suddenly going to be really invested in how long it's taking Pink to get through that anthem. I'm going to be hoping she stretches it out if I'm betting that it's going to be longer than they said. Like suddenly, when we invest, we pay attention. You put your money in a stock, and I guarantee you, you are checking out that stock that you didn't even think about two weeks ago. This goes beyond money. I've, I've noticed this in my own life. I got a Jeep. And when I got a Jeep, I got really excited about Jeeps. And now I see them everywhere. I'm looking at the tires that people have on their Jeeps, what kind of like package they have, you know, if it's lifted a little bit, the color, you know, all the, like I just find myself mindlessly looking at that stuff. I see them everywhere. I never saw Jeeps on the road before. Now they're everywhere. Part of it is they are everywhere in Knoxville. But I see them everywhere. This, this is, Jesus gave us a tool. If you're trying to figure out where your heart is, pay attention to where you've invested yourself. Pay attention. And you can most tell because it really hurts if something goes wrong with that thing. You feel the pain of it. Ooh, man, I just lost a lot of money there. Or, oh, that just went a really wrong direction. Like we feel the pain of it. He gave us a measure. What I treasure, where my treasure is, my heart is there. God made us to be givers. And when we flip this around and, and we become people who give out, guess what? Our heart follows. Our heart follows when we move from being givers to takers. So how do we do this? We're going to look at Deuteronomy chapter 15. And we're going to look at, at four quick things. Deuteronomy chapter 15. Um, in this passage, God is communicating his heart for his people, how he wants them to live generously and experience blessing in their life. Beyond finances, just blessing, a, a good, healthy, blessed life. This is like the final words that Moses is writing to God's people before they move into the land that's been promised for them. So they're about to step into what God has for them and they're being given instructions about how to approach living in a generous, giving way. And so we're going to kind of unpack this a little bit. Deuteronomy chapter 15. Let's start reading in verse 4. But there will be no poor among you. That's God's heart. 
For the Lord will bless you in the land that the Lord God is giving you for an inheritance to possess. If only you will strictly obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all this commandment that I command you today. For the Lord your God will bless you as he promised you. And you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And you shall rule over many nations, but they shall not rule over you. If among you one of your brothers should become poor, if any of your towns within your land that the Lord God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. God is giving a vision of a, a good, healthy way to live where our needs are met, where we care for one another. I mean, does that, just, does that sound like a place you would like to live in? Where there's no poor and there's generosity and there's blessing? A place where we're not burdened down with debt? I mean, it just, it's, it's describing a really wonderful place to be. Because, but God says, listen, you're going to have to listen closely to what I'm about to ask you to do. If you want to experience this, you're going to have to listen closely. Giving is the antidote to selfishness. Giving is the antidote to selfishness. There are things immediately that change about us when we give our life to Christ. Immediately. This fact, the scripture is full of things that identify who we are in him. They are real, true things about us. I hope, I hope you know some of those identities. It's a good study to do. Knowing our identity in Christ. We have them. We are those things. But if you're like me, you've probably come to realize I'm not always living out those things he's declaring me to be. I'm in process. Do, do you all agree with that? Are you in process? I'm in process. The way that we participate in the work God is doing in our lives is simply this. Obedience is our participation in transformation. Obedience is our participation in transformation. It's our part. Now, I can't make myself different, make myself change. All the things we were just saying coming out of our prayer time are true. I can't just grit my teeth and become something different. God has a massive part to play in the transformation that he wants to do in my life. It's by his grace, it's by his power, it's by his strength. But he invites me into that process. My actions line up with who I am. This is a big deal. This is about how we view the world. There are whole sections, chunks of our world that believe that we are primarily just who we believe ourselves to be. It's an issue of essence. It's an issue of being. It's an issue of just realization of, of what I am. I mean, there's, there's like religions based around that. There's cultures based around that. There are also cultures that just sort of ignore that and just say, man, just go do it. Go do it. And in the process, you know, it'll work itself out. It's about doing. What I believe is that, that we are who God makes us to be, but that he is working in us a process that requires our participation. We cooperate with him. I don't just sit there like a blob and go, God, transform me. I just sit there. I choose. 
There's action. There's steps. And so God's inviting us into a process that will transform us if we'll, if we'll go for it, if we'll participate. So we're going to look at four things that he says in this passage. Two of them are warnings and two of them are encouragements. Two warnings and two encouragements. Here we go. The first one, a warning. Deuteronomy 15.9. He warns us about a selfish heart. He says, take care lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart and you say the seventh year the year of release is near and your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother and you give him nothing and he cried to the Lord against you and you be guilty of sin now to give you a little background they had a great system there every seven years debt was wiped away so what he's saying is be careful because when it's been six years and six months and your brother's in need and you know you should lend him money, but in the back of your mind you're thinking, man, in six months, this debt gets wiped away. I am probably ain't seeing this money and so I'm just going to hold back. Now, that, that principle, that attitude still remains as something we could battle with. I'm willing to give up to a point, but my selfishness wants to get in the way. Watch out for selfishness. That word unworthy, he said, be careful lest there be an unworthy thought. That word unworthy means worthless, wicked, ruin, destruction. A selfish heart leads to ruin. It leads to disappointment. It leads to a frustrated life. And so God warns us and he says, be careful that selfishness doesn't creep in. Now I realize the church as it relates to talking about giving, I realize it's been abused. I realize we get nervous when the pastor starts teaching about it. But if we can remove that piece for a minute and just look honestly at our heart and go, God, when the issue of giving gets brought up, is it because somebody's communicating something wrong? Or is it because my heart is resistant to giving? Is, is it my own selfishness? God, have I put a lot of treasure there and I don't want to give that up. I don't want to give that up. See, here's the issue. This is why I started where I did this morning. God is a giver. He's made us givers. And then he's given us things and made us stewards. That means it's his. Giving that act of unselfishness, that act of surrender means he's in charge. I love this quote I saw this week by A.W. Tozer. The reason why many are still troubled still seeking, still making little forward progress is because they haven't yet come to the end of themselves. We're still trying to give orders and we're interfering with God's work within us. Will I let him be king? Will I trust it's better his way? Will I trust that giving is not just right, that it's good for me? It doesn't feel good for me, but that it is, believing that it is. So watch out for a selfish heart. Just recognize that when the moment of decision comes to give of your time, of your resources. Listen, it comes in little ways. I was sitting in my office this week being really spiritual at my desk studying for this sermon. And one of my kids walked in and I got selfish about my time. And I mean, I literally almost bit off one of my kids' heads to like run them out of the room. I'm like, I, I actually could have chosen to give 
five minutes of attention and had some love and some gentleness, but it, it cost me something. And the truth is, I could pretend like I just needed this really spiritual moment to focus, but I was just trying to get done working so I could move into the next part of my day. And she was an interruption to me finishing my work for the day. But I could justify it because I was studying the Bible so I could preach this morning. No, I was being a jerk. I was being a jerk. Selfishness got in the way. The moment of decision came. I had a choice to make to give. Thankfully, I caught it pretty quick, but I didn't catch it quite in time. I had to kind of go back and make it right. But selfishness will pop up just like that when the opportunity to give shows up. And so watch for that. that that's in us all. Okay, secondly, if that wasn't enough, verse 10, we have to watch out for this. You shall give him freely and your heart shall not be grudging. King James Version says grieved. Your heart shall not be grudging or grieved when you give to him. Because for this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. That word grudging, it means grieve, sad. It actually means to break or shatter. It means a high level of disappointment. I'm very indebted to Robert Morris. I've, I've been listening to a lot of his teachings on this issue of giving. Tim Keller and some others have influenced this. But Robert Morris has a great quote about these two verses. He says, watch out because selfishness attacks you before you give and grief attacks you after you give. You regret it. It hurts. It's painful. See, the truth is, whether I like to admit it or not, so often my giving is still attached to something I'm hoping to receive. I think because I gave, because I sacrificed, that means Oh, angels in heaven are singing and everything's wonderful. And then I, I do that thing. I make that choice. I make that decision. I pour out. I give for somebody. I don't get the thank you. Or in fact, I get lots of pain. Watch out for a broken, grieving heart after you pour out. Because when we pour out and we give, there's a really good chance it's going to hurt on the other side. It's going to hurt. I think one of the biggest problems in our teaching on giving is that we teach give to get or give to be blessed. We give because God designed us to be givers. We give to learn to give, to learn to give. Now, he will bless us, but probably not the way that we think. He might be blessing me by changing me. The biggest blessing might very well be that he's dealing with my selfishness or he's dealing with my grieving heart and teaching me to trust him and to lean on him. In fact, to become more and more like him. Watch out for a wounded heart. Okay, so there's the warnings. Got those out of the way. A couple of things to watch for. Deuteronomy 15, verses 11 through 14. For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide. Can you say open wide? You shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. Verse 12. 
This is talking about a concept I'm not going to be able to fully unpack this morning, but I want you to still have the, the sense of this. If your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, is sold to you, he shall serve you six years, and in the seventh year you shall let him go free from you. And when you let him go free from you, you shall not let him go empty-handed. You shall furnish him liberally out of your flock, out of your threshing floor, out of your wine press. For as the Lord your God has blessed you, you shall give to him. Without getting into all the background there, um, when somebody has owed you something and, and you're releasing them of that, you don't just let them off the hook. You bless them on their way out the door. You give liberally. And I realize you may not have a wine press or a threshing floor or cattle or whatever, but that's just their terminology for bank account. That, that was their resources. And so God's saying, give liberally. So, so what does God want to develop in us? If the warning is watch out for selfish and grieving hearts, the encouragement is to develop a generous heart. And I love the way he starts. He says, the poor will never cease to be in your land. This ain't a one-time thing. This is a way of life. There's going to be needs around you. Let's be generous people. And so let's develop that. That word liberally, it's a really cool word because it's more of a visual picture than it is just a couple of words that define it. The visual picture is to give someone your cloak or jewelry. Picture the prodigal son returning home and the father giving the best robe and placing a ring on his finger. That's God's Im imagery for generosity. It's unearned. It's not merited. We lavish it. We give generously. Let's develop a generous heart. And then finally, last one. Deuteronomy 15, 15. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this today. What's he saying? Let's have a grateful heart. Let's learn to remember who God is and what he has done for us. And let's develop a grateful heart. Gratitude, thanksgiving for who he is, for what he's done in my life. When I realize that for God so loved the world that he gave, and that was for me, and I'm walking in and living in that reality, when I see God's faithfulness in my life, and I develop an attitude of choosing to give thanks. I, I just, I wonder how often in my life God's blessed me and I just go right past it. I don't even notice. I'm not even acknowledging the ways he's blessing me. And I'm, I'm missing it. I mean, forget the fact for a minute that he deserves that praise, that it's due him. I'm missing out on developing something powerful in my life. Generosity and gratitude will help combat selfishness and greed. When I'm grateful for what I do have, it makes the things I don't have that I'm hurt by seem a lot smaller. Seem a lot smaller. Okay. I want to I wanna end this, and man, we're tight on time, but I just, I want to get real and personal for a minute. So I just, I feel like I need to tell this story, and I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to do it quickly. Um. And I'm, I'm telling this story, and I want to say, I'm a mess, and I'm in process. <laughs> I am, I'm a taker, man. I grieve. I get frustrated when I give and feel like I'm not getting back. 
I give self, like that stuff is in me. And thank God he's patient with me and he's helping me grow. But there, there's, a, there's some specific, there's a specific kind of journey the Lord took me on. Um, where um, when my daughter Abby was born, there was a whole sequence of things that were kind of happening in my heart. And by the time Abby was born, um, I was a very frustrated person. I was frustrated. Um, on one level, I was frustrated because I grew up with a dad playing baseball with me, throwing ball, playing bat. Like, I just, I got to have that really cool dad-son experience. And I wanted a son. And this was my third daughter. And I'm like, okay, I want a son. I love you, Ashley. <laughs> I'm just being real. I love my daughters. So, I, you know, I don't regret any of my kids being born, but like third kid, I'm like, oh man, I'm starting to like do the math here and I'm running out of opportunities. And so I just, I was discouraged. I'm just being honest with you. I was discouraged in the ultrasound. I was like, man, this stinks. And I'd rallied. I was fine by the time Abby was born. And then she had Down syndrome. And I just, this thing began to take root that I didn't even realize was there, but it was this mentality that God was withholding from me that what I wanted and dreamed for didn't matter to him. And it created a lot of discouragement and my heart was hardening towards him. And so in, in my mind, and I'm, I'm like a pastor at this point, and yet I'm wrestling interni, internally with this idea that God's a withholder and he's a taker. And then a couple of years later, a year and a half later, my wife comes to me and she wants to adopt a kid, another kid with Down syndrome from Ukraine. And I mean, I was not open to that at all. She said like, will you pray? And I did like, sure. Yeah, I'll pray. I'm serious. I did. I was like, okay, I'll pray. And it was a very sarcastic, I'll pray. And then for two weeks, just, I just, it was just kind of there and I was kind of ignoring it and I was not praying but, you know, prayer has two sides, right? There's the talking part and the listening part. And even though I was trying really hard not to listen, he was talking. And I felt clear as day at one point that God just said to me, well, I, there's a whole lot, long part, sorry. At one point, I just felt like God made it really clear to me, you could, will you? And I just said, yeah, I will. Call my wife in tears. Let's do it. We go through the process of adopting Micah. It's like a nine-month journey. It's a challenge. And so, you know, we get there and we meet him and it's like, all right, you know, all that work, all that time, all that energy, here's, here's my son. Like, I have a son. This is so cool. And we had to get him in two, two trips. So we went together, did all the paperwork and the court stuff, and then we came back and we had to wait for it to be finalized. And so I went without Amy the second time because she was starting to get big and pregnant with Mabry, <laughs> another girl. <laughs> She's big and pregnant with Mabry. And I'm, so I go with a buddy of mine and get Micah. He's with us. He's out of the orphanage. We take a 10-hour train ride that was miserable to Kiev, capital city, and we're supposed to get on a plane the next day. And everything falls apart. He's not, the CDC is not going to let him in. They think he has tuberculosis. He has to pass this test. So the buddy that had traveled with me, he has to leave. He's got to get back to work. So he gets on a plane by himself. 
I proceed to spend the single worst week of my life. And I am not kidding or joking when I say that. There's some funny stories I can tell, but they were not funny at the time. I was sick and miserable. I could not communicate with him. He only understood Russian. He, and he can't speak anyways. I couldn't communicate with him. He was frustrated with me. I was frustrated with him. At one point, I wake up at three o'clock in the morning. He has pooped all over the apartment that we're in. None of the cleaning bottles are in English. Like, I don't even know how, to, how do I clean this up? It's everywhere. Like, it was, it was awful. I'm literally thinking, what have I done? And if he doesn't pass this tuberculosis test that they're going to give him, I'm stuck there because he's ours now. I could have been there for up to like six to nine months while he went through treatment. And I'm, I'm like, God, what is going on? This is a disaster. Like, God, we have given to do this. Like, what is up? I'm just being real. It hurt. It hurt. I felt stuck and I felt trapped and I literally was alone. It was exhausting. Like, God, what is up? Thankfully, we were just there a week. He passed the test, get on the plane. We're on several plane trips and make it to the last leg, man. Like we're in Charlotte. It's like, okay, I'm on U.S. soil. You know, it's like an hour plane ride to Nashville. Okay, God. And we get on that plane. And I'm, I'm sitting there and Micah just, he lays his head in my lap and he, he falls asleep and I'm just looking at him. And I just was overwhelmed with a sense of love for this kid that had done nothing but make life hard. And he continues to do that at times. <laughs> I'm just looking at him and in that moment, God just was like, this is how I look at you. He's like, I've gone through a whole lot of crap loving you, son. And it's cost me a lot. But I gave because I love you. And he gave me just that little glimpse of his heart. And I wish that that moment, that the end of the story was that I was changed forever and now I'm this wonderful giving person. <laughs> I'm a mess. I'm in process. But I'm just telling you, God is good. And he loves us. And because of his love, he gives he lavishes it on us. And now he invites us to join him in that. We can become like our dad. Not perfectly. That's not a standard to try to live up to. It's something he invites us to enjoy. Our, our story is the story of the prodigal that gets loved and welcomed home by this amazing father. And then he invites us to start becoming like him loving, lavishly, generously, welcoming home other prodigals. But I got to tell you, if we are not careful, our journey can get hijacked and we can, we can become the elder brother with selfish, grieving hearts instead of generous, grateful hearts. We are made to give. And it's really good for us really good for us. There is a blessing. It just might not be that you're a millionaire after you tithe solid for a year. Because it's, it's not about that. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are a good God. I thank you that I get to say Father. I get to say, I could even say Daddy. That's what Abba is. It means Daddy. It's the language of love and intimacy, of connection. I thank you that you are a good father, a good dad, that you are a giver, that you've given us life and you redeem that life. You give us a future. You give us a hope. You bring comfort. God, that you give every good and perfect gift. That you pour it down on us. Thank you that you're unchanging. You're eternal. I thank you that you so loved us. You gave and you give and you don't stop giving. God, I thank you that you made us in your image somehow, some way, and that you're redeeming our lives. And God, that you, you are transforming us from selfish, discouraged, frustrated, miserable people just scraping by. You're transforming us into people who, who give and who are generous and who live with gratitude. God, thank you that you are patient with us. God, help us to just give, to do our part to obey and watch the miracle that you work in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.